I, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, send grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father to you, his beloved church. As I have suffered in this body through physical pain, I can assure you that it does not compare to the eternal glory given through Jesus the Christ. You will have trouble and pain in this life, but take heart, dear ones. Jesus, the eternal King, reigns victorious, and your trials will not be in vain. As you walk out your days, may you leave the mark of love upon all you encounter, just as Christ has loved you. May your words be full of truth and grace, and your hearts overflowing in unwavering commitment and passion for the one who is worthy. Despise evil. Do not invite the enemy to be at ease in your heart and mind. By clinging to what is good and pursuing peace, you will leave no room for his deceptive ways. Do not forget your position in Christ, co-sufferers, co-conquerors, and joint heirs. Repair whatever is broken among you. Live continually in peace, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, be flowing in your spirit. Until we meet, Paul. All right, all right. Who's excited to be in God's house today? Awesome. How about the kid doing that drawing in the video bumper? That was actually my youngest son, Isaac, super talented artist. Proud of him for being involved in our creative team. He had to redo that drawing five times before it was what we needed for the video project. So, but it's so good to be with you guys today. If you're new with us, as you just heard Pastor Lawrence say, my name is Pete. I have the distinct honor of serving as the lead pastor alongside my wife, Kelly, and together we are delighted to have you with us today, whether you're in the room or whether you're tuning in online, whether you are live streaming or watching this at a later date, I pray that this message is an encouragement to you and build your faith. Super pumped and excited to be kicking off a brand new series today. After spending nine weeks on the Beatitudes, which I trust has helped many of you have a clearer understanding of what it looks like to follow Jesus in his upside-down kingdom, we're going to dive into a new topic. We're going to shift our focus, and every summer, or most summers for the past several years, we have taken a part of the summer to kind of do what we call a, a series on a hero of the faith a hero series. We've, I've done one on David. I've preached on Joshua, on Joseph. A couple summers ago, we did one called Wonder Women as we took a look at some of the women of the faith in the Bible. And today we're going to start a new series by taking a look at the life of one of the most interesting and influential people who has ever lived. We're talking about the apostle Paul here. And if you have grown up in church, no doubt you have heard of Paul. You've read many of his letters in the Bible. Uh, if you're newer to faith, newer to church, then uh, our hope is that if you will stick with us through the series, at the end of it, you will have a much better understanding of who Paul was and more importantly, why his teachings are so essential, important to us in the Christian faith. You know, it's from a word and volume standpoint, from a word count standpoint, the Apostle Paul wrote roughly 24-25% of the New Testament, second only to Luke. Uh, from a number of books standpoint, though, it's actually close to half the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. And some scholars believe that he actually is the one who led Luke to Christ. Luke is the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And uh, so if that is the case, then that would make Paul the most influential person of the New Testament, maybe except for Jesus. And so he's a pretty important guy. It's through Paul's writings that we discover a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is. We learn more about what grace is all about and how grace gives us the power to live a life free from sin. And so in this series, we're going to discover how God wants to direct every step of your life. We're going to talk a little bit about the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to talk about contentment and generosity. We're going to look at one of the most famous books of the Bible, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter. Paul talked more about relationships than maybe anybody else, and so we're going to take a look at that. But most importantly, we're going to look at what Paul had to say, how that influences how we follow Jesus. And honestly, it's a little bit daunting to try and tackle a series on the life of the Apostle Paul. Such a, you know, 
deep and broad volume of, of works to choose from and how do we possibly capture everything? I mean, his, uh, you know, there's a lot to his story. Many of his writings contain mature and spiritually complex topics. And so we're gonna go, we're gonna get deep. How many of you are ready to get deep into God's word today? About half of you, the other half of you is good news is that we're not gonna jump right into the deep end. We're actually gonna wade into the shallow end first. The first time we see the Apostle Paul appear on the pages of Scripture is in the book of Acts, written by Luke, and it's in chapter 7, I believe, but I want to set the stage for you, okay? Before Paul was the Paul we know about, he was actually Saul, and Saul was very different from the Paul that we know about, and some of you know what that's like. Before you met Jesus, you had some BC days, right, some stories that you hope don't surface, you know, we all have a past. We all have things that when we look back on, we're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the proudest of those moments. And Paul, also called Saul, was one of those guys. He appears on the pages of Scripture in Acts chapter 7. But I want to set the scene for you because in the previous chapter, we see a Jesus follower named Stephen being arrested because he was preaching about Jesus. And some false accusers came forward and started spreading a testimony that he was speaking against the law of Moses and that Jesus was going to destroy the temple and, and undo all of the customs that Moses had passed down to them. And so these religious leaders who were all about Moses arrested Stephen and asked him if these accusations were true. And so in chapter 7, almost all of chapter 7 is Stephen's response to the Pharisees who arrested him. And I would encourage you to go back and read it in your own time. It's a beautiful defense of the faith as he goes all the way back to Abraham and builds a case for why Jesus is the Messiah. And near the end of his defense, he says something like this to them. He says to them, you hard-headed and stubborn people. You're always fighting against the Holy Spirit just like your ancestors did. Was there a single prophet that your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed the prophets who predicted of the coming Messiah, and now you have betrayed and murdered that Messiah. He says, you guys talk about the law, and yet you don't even obey the law, even though angels gave it to you. And in verse 54, it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. You know, it's interesting that you can be anointed to preach a powerful word and be hated by people at the same time. You can have a message for your generation and be misunderstood by the very people you're trying to reach and convince with the claims of Christ. So these religious leaders are furious with Stephen for telling the truth. And in the next verse, it says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, these religious leaders were angry before, but now they're really pissed, right? They're, they're angry, not like a lot of church people get angry and they send an email and to the pastor, well, you should never preach on that again. Not that kind of angry. Like, they were angry like, we're going to kill you. In verse 57, they, at this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And now here is where we meet the greatest missionary of the New Testament. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul, who we later find out was a Pharisee, was standing in approval, watching this Jesus follower love, full of love and, and compassion being murdered in front of his eyes. And rather than stepping in to try and stop it, he's actually taking delight in it. He's standing in approval over it. Saul, as a Pharisee, was one of those guys that Jesus always talked about that was very concerned with looking good and proper on the outside, obeying every letter of the law, but on the inside, their hearts were full of uncleanness, hatred. Verse 59, when they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Sounds a lot like Jesus when he was on the cross, doesn't it? 
Do not hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen modeled what we talked about last week in responding to persecution differently. And in this moment, Stephen's forgiveness unlocks Saul's future. You know, the people that are hating you the most might actually be the people that God wants to reach others that you could never reach. Did you ever think about that? But the only way they're going to step into their destiny is if you release them from the hurt and the pain and the betrayal that they've done against you. You know, hating haters doesn't do any good for you. The haters that you have in your life, if you just hate them back, you're not going to change their hearts. The only thing that can change hate is love. Verse 1 of chapter 8, it continues, and Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, against, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, putting them in prison. Pulling sons and daughters away from mothers and fathers, separating families. Listen, Saul was basically a religious terrorist in his time. Not much different than what we talked about last week with some of the communists in North Korea and China or the Muslim extremists in Nigeria or Iran or Pakistan that are killing Christians today. What Hitler was to the Jews, Saul was to the Christians There have always been haters and there are always going to be haters. People that grow up steeped in a generational mindset full of racism and prejudice and hatred and cruelty. And Paul was one of those guys. He grew up in a family that disagreed with anyone who opposed their philosophy. He was born to a father that was a Roman citizen His mother was a Jew, so he was Jewish by birth, but also, because of his dad, had Roman citizenship. He grew up in a family that was wealthy, so had everything he needed, learned in the best schools. His parents sent him away at 14 years old to study under the great Gamaliel, one of the most esteemed and prestigious, influential Pharisees of his time. And it was Gamaliel who for 10 years would inform and shape Paul's view of life, teaching him the Old Testament, the Torah, inside and all. Paul would have memorized books of the Old Testament, teaching Paul, Saul, to become the strictest of Pharisees. And so Saul, by the end of his time studying under Gamaliel, had developed somewhat of a know-it-all mindset, thinks he's got it all figured out, but what he doesn't know is that he's about to have an encounter that is going to completely change his life. In chapter 9, which we're going to look at shortly, he's headed down a road towards a, city to, towards a city called Damascus, where he thinks he's fulfilling his purpose, but he's headed towards an intersection where he's going to leave the past behind and grab a hold of the future that God has for him. And some of you here today are headed down a road towards a destination where you think you're fulfilling the things that God wants you to do. But I believe today is a day where God wants to intersect you and completely shift and change the trajectory of your life. I believe that's gonna happen for some people today. There's a story about a man named Alfred Nobel who grew up in the 1800s and uh, he invented dynamite and made a lot of money selling that to different nations who used it to kill a lot of people in different wars. Well, Alfred, in his late 60s, one day, went into the kitchen one morning, you know, ate his breakfast, grabbed the newspaper, and was reading the newspaper and came across the obituaries and was very surprised when he found his name listed in the obituaries. He's like, I'm pretty sure I'm alive. Why is my name in the obituaries? Well, it turns out that his brother had died a week earlier, and due to some poor reporting, at least one newspaper thought it was Alfred, and so they took it upon themselves to write a scathing obituary about the merchant of death who was finally dead. The merchant of death who had profited from developing ways to mutilate and kill more people through war than any other person in the history of the world. That was what they wrote about Alfred. And in that moment, Alfred realized two things. Number one, that this is what he was going to be remembered for. Number two, this is not what he wanted to be remembered for. 
Alfred was seeing what people were going to remember him for, and he was realizing that that was going to be his legacy. And he thought for a moment about calling his attorney and suing the newspaper for defamation of character until he realized they're right. And so in the last 10 years of his life, he decided to change his legacy. He decided to put all the money that he had made from selling dynamite, some $265 million in the 1800s, and put it into a trust fund that would be used every year to give a series of prizes to people who in the previous year had conferred the greatest benefit on mankind. He said, I want to be known as somebody who has spread peace in the world and not destruction, and I want to name these awards after myself. I'm sure you know by now that I'm talking about the Nobel Peace Prize. He wanted to change his legacy. And hundreds of years later, every year, the Nobel Peace Prize is given to people who do something to promote peace and the well-being of people on our planet today. All because he wanted to change his legacy. Nobel is quoted as saying, every man ought to have the chance to correct his epitaph in midstream and write a new one. The first thing we learn about the Apostle Paul is that you can't choose the legacy you receive, but you can choose the legacy you'll leave. You can't choose the family you were born into, the people you grow up with, or the things that they, they teach you as you grow up. But just because you can't... Just because you can't choose the legacy you receive doesn't mean that if you grew up in a family that that hated a group of people or of a certain color or of a certain religion doesn't mean that you have to continue that legacy as you get older. You can change. You might say, well, no, Pete, it's a generational curse. I was born this way. I'm going to be this way. I can't change. Excuse me. The same God who raises the dead and can set addicts free can break generational curses off of your life. You can change. The Apostle Paul grew up in this, steeped in this mindset that hated everyone who disagreed with what they thought about who God was and how life should be. And people today grow up and my grandfather was this way, my father was this way, I'm bound to be this way. And they think it's just they're doomed to repeat this legacy and it might not be a conscious choice, maybe choice, you know, little by little, choice by choice, coupled with the family we grow up in. We fall into this, but God wants to say, no, you can change. Like, I've got more for your life. I've got plans and purposes for you. You can decide the legacy that you want to leave, even though you might have been given a legacy that you wish you weren't. God sees more potential in us when nobody else sees potential. When we don't see potential in ourselves, God sees potential in us at our worst time. The same guy that oversaw Stephen's stoning would almost 20 years later write in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Until you let God love the Saul inside of you, you will never discover the Paul inside of you. Until you realize and recognize that God loves you even at your worst moment, you'll never discover the greater Paul that he's called you to be. God loves you on your worst day. God loves people that would never even love him back. That's how unfathomable his love is. He loves you when you hate him. He loves you when you would spit on him. He loves the people that would even, you know, shove a crown of thorns on his head and drive nails into his wrists and a spear into his side. He loves all of us, even at our worst moments, even when we are not aware of his love for us, even when we are enemies of his, he still loves us. Saul was trapped in bigotry and was consumed with hate for people that were simply spreading the message of love through Jesus to the point where he participated in their murder. The second thing we learn about Paul is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past. I don't care how sanctified and pretty you look on the outside as you sit here in church. You've got some things in your life that as you look back on, you're embarrassed about. We all have a past. And even if you grew up in church, you would say, yeah, but I'm not like those guys. I didn't do things as bad as they did. But listen, in God's eyes, sin is sin, and we are all born in sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I didn't do what they did. 
Listen, self-righteousness is just as ugly as murder. And besides, Jesus said that if you've even thought something in your heart, you're guilty of committing the act. And I'm pretty sure that if we had the technology to stream on the big screens, the thoughts that you've had in your mind, we'd be pretty embarrassed. Right? None of us want other people to know the thoughts that we've had about wanting to take revenge on people who hurt us or our family, the impure, lustful thoughts we've had about other people. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. And the truth is every saint in this place today is simply a sinner who's been saved by grace. So the good news is maybe you're here today and you would never even dream of calling yourself a saint because you know how dirty of a sinner you are. The fact that you're even in church today is a small miracle because you were afraid that if you walked in the door, God would strike lightning on the building and you'd explode. Because you know what you did last night or Friday night. Heck, maybe you sinned this morning. Maybe you were cussing up a storm in the parking lot before you walked through the doors and put a smile on your face. God still loves you at your worst moments. And it's hard for us to comprehend the fact that God loves us even at our worst moments. But it's there that we discover that God has something greater for us. There was a guy by the name of Beto who grew up in Nicaragua. Beto was in his 60s an alcoholic, wife divorced him, children disowned him. He wound up homeless, penniless, on the streets, couldn't afford to take care of himself. Any little bit of money that he made through stealing or whatever else was used to purchase more alcohol. Some missionaries went to Nicaragua and planted a church there and began reaching the people there. And they found Beto on the streets and tried to share the gospel with him, tried to invite him to church, and Beto wouldn't have any of it. He would just ask for money. And so these two missionaries began to help him by, you know, giving him food. And uh, these missionaries would open a coffee shop in this church that they planted, and they invited Beto to have a cup of coffee in the coffee shop. And, hey, free coffee, Beto was there. And so he, you know, goes, and while having coffee, they got to share the gospel with him. And Beto would, you know, through these conversations over coffee, make a decision to, to follow Jesus and become a Christian. The problem was, though, that he was still an alcoholic. Even though he accepted Jesus, he still woke up every day craving alcohol. And so these missionaries were just doing their best to speak life over him, said, God's got a plan for your life. God loves you. And he's like, you know what? Nobody loves me. How could anybody love me? My wife left me over a decade ago, hasn't spoken to me since. My children have disowned me. They won't let me see my grandkids. Nobody loves me. Yes, Beto, God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. What do you love to do? And he said, well, before I was an alcoholic, I was a cobbler. I made shoes. And so they offered in their desire to help Beto and get him on his feet to, you know, come and live in the back of the coffee shop and work for them so he could start earning some money and getting, you know, getting back on his feet. And Beto would live in the back of this coffee shop and he began using the burlap sacks that the coffee beans came in to begin making shoes. He went back to his old trade and started making shoes and he would sell these shoes to the people from the church and they loved it so much as they started going out into the community telling people, you gotta buy shoes from Beto, these shoes are awesome. Before you know it, he's selling shoes to everyone in the neighborhood. And today, Beto has a website that has sold over 20,000 pairs of shoes. Not only that, but he has been delivered from alcoholism. He was reconciled to his wife and has been remarried. His children have come back into his life. And every single Sunday, he goes to church with his children and his grandchildren. You see, we serve a God who sees potential in us when nobody else does. Even when we don't see potential in ourselves, God sees it in us. What we find in the story of Paul and in Beto is that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Don't ever count anybody out. We pick up Paul's story in chapter 9, verse 1, where it says that Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So we went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus 
so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they called Christianity back then, so that if he found anybody who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Paul unexpectedly encountered the risen Jesus, and it completely changed his life. The third thing we learn about Paul is that you are one encounter away from a completely new life. One encounter away. And today could be that day for some of you. You might think you know God or at least know about God just like Paul thought he knew about God in the days before that he had this encounter. You might even know your Bible backwards and forwards just like Saul knew the Old Testament scriptures backwards and forwards. But today could be the day where you meet Jesus for real for the first time and everything changes. Today could be the day where you let go of the past and grab a hold of the future that God has for you. You're one encounter away from a completely new life. See, Paul had requested permission from the chief priests for basically arrest warrants to go to Damascus where he must have heard that there were a bunch of Christians there so that he could arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem for questioning and possibly for execution. See, Damascus is the oldest inhabited city in the world today, by the way, interestingly enough. It's in modern-day Syria, 135 miles from Jerusalem, and Damascus for us has different meanings in this story. It's not just a city, but if you were to study commentaries on this, Damascus was at the crossroads between Africa and Asia. It was a crossroads of change. So Damascus today for your life and my life is an intersection where God wants to change where you were going and why you were going there and wants to give you a new purpose and meaning as you encounter Jesus. That's what Damascus means for us today. All of us are on a road headed somewhere. And maybe you're on a road to Damascus today thinking that you're doing what God wanted you to do. But Jesus wants to meet you and redirect you to do what he's called you to do. Listen, don't confuse activity with purpose. Saul, thinking he was living a life of purpose, doing, you know, what he believed, his faith and his religion, you know, what God wanted him to do. But he was just spinning his wheels full of activity. And you might be busy doing a lot of things in your life. But God wants to give you a real purpose in living. Paul was about to shift for God's purpose in living as he would have this bright light shine around him. And he would meet the resurrected Jesus. And it says he fell to the ground. You know, Saul thought he had it all figured out. He had this prideful, haughty kind of way about him, having learned under Gamaliel he later describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, like he was, you know, as to the law, faultless. He knew it all. And yet he meets Jesus and he falls to the ground. He is made low. And some of us here today might think we've got our lives figured out. Nobody can tell you differently. You've been to school, you're educated, and professors told you that, you know, Christianity is just, you know, a bunch of fairy tales. But maybe what if God is outside of the box that you've tried to put him in? What if today God wants to change your life? What if he wants to shift your direction, do something new in your life? What if he wants to interrupt your plans? Are you willing to be humbled and brought low as Jesus presents himself to you today? Jesus told Paul to go into the city and there he would be told what to do. And so in verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they, the companions that he was traveling with, led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Ananias in verse 13 is like, um, Lord, 
I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is like, Jesus, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Like, I've heard about this Saul. I know what he's doing to people here. I don't want to go talk to this guy. But in verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Quick side note, I know we're talking about Paul, but I feel like some of you here today, I feel like the Holy Spirit led me as I was preparing this message to say that some of you here are called to be an Ananias. You might be envious or maybe you've always wanted a Paul-like calling or anointing to, to preach and reach a lot of people with the gospel. But what if instead God has called you to be somebody who prays for the souls? What if you would do what God tells you to do and, be, and not be fearful in doing it, but just walk in obedience to it? God would say, I will credit their harvest to you. Think about the billions of people who were influenced by the Apostle Paul's writings. That might not have been had Ananias not responded in faithful obedience to the Holy Spirit to go and pray for Saul and release Saul and impact generations to come. He's called some of you to be an Ananias. To pray for those who will reach people that you could never reach. Jesus told Ananias, this man is my chosen instrument. Paul was chosen by God, not because of anything good Paul had done, but simply because that was part of God's plan. He wanted to demonstrate the reach of his power and his grace and his love to apprehend somebody even like Paul. The fourth thing that we learn about Paul from the beginning of his life is that God has been pursuing us from the day we were born. He has been pursuing you from the moment you were born. He created you. He chose you. He's got works that he has planned in advance for you to do. And that is something that Saul would later come to know. See, Paul had this encounter with Jesus that we are reading in Acts 8 and 9, 7, 8 and 9, around four to seven years after the resurrection of Jesus and he ascended back to the Father. So the years between 33 and 36 AD that we are reading this account. Almost 30 years later, in 62 AD, he would write a letter to the church at Ephesus. And in that letter, he would say, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before Paul ever became this great missionary, before he penned a single letter that would become a book of the Bible, he was a self-righteous religious bigot who persecuted and killed Christians. And yet after Jesus changed him, despite his past, God chose him and planned works in advance. While Paul was killing Christians, Jesus was planning for the churches that Paul would later plant. Do you see this? God has a plan for each one of us, and he has been pursuing you since the day you were born, even before you become aware of God in your life. God has been in hot pursuit of your heart since the moment you were born. And what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is that we don't serve a God who makes us jump through hoops and, and go through all of these rituals and climb the ladder until we're good enough to get into heaven. No, we can't be good enough to get into heaven. So God climbed the ladder down to earth by sending Jesus to do what we were unable to do. He lived a perfect and sinless life and paid for all of our sins by dying on the cross. He pursued us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He's been pursuing you from the moment you were born. Not only that, but number five, God has a story that he wants to tell through your life. See, God was interrupting Saul because he had a new direction for him. And he was going to use all of Paul's life. His flaws, his weaknesses, his strict upbringing as part of the story that he would tell others about the grace of God. See, everything you've walked through, God will use as part of your testimony. He doesn't waste anything, including all of the dark, dirty things that you don't want anybody to ever know about. What your dad did to you when you were six years old. What your uncle did. What that 
what that teacher said about you, how that coach treated you, what you did to your girlfriend when you were 16 years old, what your boyfriend did to you when you were 18 years old. God wants to use all of it as part of the story that he wants to tell through your life to reach people that nobody else can reach. That thing that happened to you that that you're afraid to talk about is the very thing that somebody who's going through that right now needs to know that somebody else has gone through it and God has rescued them from it and redeemed it and given them a meaning and a purpose to live after it. We're so afraid to show our scars, but God says, no, your scars are beautiful because that is what shows the power of my grace and my love. And by hiding it, we are robbing people of the very thing that they are waiting to hear that somebody else has been through what I've been through. God will use every part of your story, including and especially the dirty, ugly parts to reach people that nobody else can reach. But the only way that we will ever accomplish the works that God's planned in advance for us to do is if we will surrender to Jesus. Jesus told Paul, go into the city and there you'll be told what you must do. And in that moment, Paul had a decision to make. He's like, I don't know what in the world I just experienced, but I can't see right now. I'm going back to Jerusalem. He could have done that. But instead, he surrendered and obeyed and went to Damascus. He says, Paul, I've got a story I want to tell through your life. I've got, I've chosen you to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Paul, I've got churches for you to plant. I've got books for you to write that will influence billions of people for centuries to come to become Christians and billions of Christians to become better followers of Jesus. One of those books will be a letter called Ephesians that will unlock the minds of billions of Christians to know the access they have to every spiritual blessing because we are in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ephesians will help people know that we are saved by grace, not by faith, not by works. Saved by grace through faith. You're gonna write a letter, a a theological treatise called Romans that will help billions of Christians understand that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, and that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Paul, I've got a Timothy I want you to mentor. There's a story I want to write through your life. Paul, you're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be snake-bitten. You're going to be beaten and whipped and tortured and imprisoned for sharing the message that I give you. Paul, you're going to suffer a lot on account of me, but I'm going to use you to reach people that nobody else can reach. Oh, and by the way, you're also going to stand before emperors and leaders. I'm going to open doors that no one can open because I've got a story I want to tell through your life. You guys, if you would surrender to Jesus, he can do so much more through your life than you ever thought possible, which is why he would later write, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all that you can ask, think, or even dream. He wants to write a story through your life. But the only way you're going to see it is if you surrender to him. Divine direction comes when we completely surrender to Jesus. Now let me wrap this up. Remember in verse 6, Jesus told Paul to go into the city. And then in verse 8, his companions led him by the hand into Damascus. We talked a little bit about Damascus, but remember, Damascus was where Paul was intending to go originally. That was his plan all along, to go to Damascus, arrest Christians, bring them back to Jerusalem for questioning, possibly execution. So God didn't change Paul's destination. He had him go to the same place he was planning on going anyway, but he changed his perspective. He said, Saul, I want you to go to Damascus, but instead of going there to kill Christians, you're going to meet a man named Ananias who's going to pray for you and explain the gospel to you and help you to see things differently. And rather than murdering Christians, you're going to start multiplying the church. 
The people who were your best friends, the Pharisees, are going to become your worst enemies. And the people who you thought were your enemies, the Christians, are going to become your closest friends. Everything is going to change in Damascus. God didn't change his destination. He changed his perspective. And I wonder if there's some people here today who've been asking God to change their direction and change their destination. But I wonder if God says, no, I want you to go to the same place that you were headed, but I'm going to give you a new way to look at it. I'm going to change your perspective. Rather than seeing those people who are persecuting you as your enemies, I'm going to change your perspective to see them as your mission field, the ones I've called you to reach. It's the same destination, but a new destiny and a new identity. It's the same location, but I'm going to give you a new vocation. It's the same environment that you're in, but I'm going to give you a new enthusiasm to live on purpose. So Saul heads to Damascus, and for three days... He's blind, he doesn't eat anything or drink anything. He's blind, but now he can see. It's interesting that when he was physically able to see, he was spiritually blind. But it wasn't until Jesus physically blinded him that he could truly see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Verse 17 of chapter 9, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that would later inspire Paul to write chapters about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and explain the role and purpose of those gifts for the local church. The same Holy Spirit that is millennia later going to inspire a guy named Peter Jankowski to preach on the gifts to the church at Buffalo, at Life Church Buffalo, because people there need to know that the gifts are still for today. That same Holy Spirit is going to fill you. And so Ananias prayed for him. And in verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I love that the passage ends with Paul immediately getting baptized. Some of you are gonna get baptized next week because you've met the resurrected Jesus and he has changed your life. And if you haven't yet made the decision to get baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to take that step. We need to see more immediacy in people's response to the gospel to take that step and get baptized. And then Paul went and ate lunch. I love that. That's a man after my own heart. You got baptized? Give me some food. And some of y'all after the service is over are gonna go to a restaurant and eat some food. But I wonder if before that happens, some scales need to fall off of some eyes. Some of you here today might think that you've known God or known about God, just like Saul thought he knew about God. I mean, he knew the Old Testament inside and out. Some of you might know your Bible inside and out, just like Saul knew the Torah inside and out. But I wonder if some scales need to fall off of some eyes today for you to truly see who Jesus is. Ananias prayed for him and the scales of hate fell from his eyes as the love of Jesus filled his heart. The scales of condemnation and legalism and religiosity fell from his eyes as the grace of Jesus filled his heart. He was changed. You know, in just a few chapters from this, in chapter 13 actually is when Saul begins to be referred to as Paul. And a lot of people, if you've grown up in church, maybe you've even heard that God changed Saul's name, you know, to Paul. Much like Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. But that actually didn't happen with Paul. Saul was actually his Hebrew name that he was given at birth. But because he was a Roman citizen, he was also given a Latin name, Paul. But because he grew up as a strict Pharisee, Saul was the more appropriate name for him to go by. That was his Hebrew name. But once he met Jesus, and because he was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, he dusted off his Roman name and started going by Paul, which is the name that Gentiles would have been more familiar with. And so even though 
God didn't change Saul's name to Paul like some people grew up believing. He did change Saul. He changed him into a new person. Before he met Jesus, Saul was a religious bigot who hated anybody who believed differently than him. He used his words to cut people down. He murdered Christians filled with hate, persecution. But after he met Jesus, everything changed. Paul became a demon slayer. He became a hope dealer, a truth seeker, a love giver, a grace teacher. Instead of killing the church, he started planning churches. Instead of persecuting Christians, he started empowering Christians. Everything changed when he met Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you struggle with being a prideful or hateful or vindictive person. Today, Jesus wants to change you into someone who is loving and joyful and peaceful and merciful and gentle and kind. The question is, will you humble yourself? Will you stop running, stop fighting, and surrender to him as he reveals himself to you today? Will you listen to his voice and let him change you? You can't choose the legacy you receive, but you can choose the legacy that you'll leave. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. And you're just one encounter away from a completely new life. God's been pursuing you from the moment you were born because he's got a story that he wants to tell through your life. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, I thank you for the reality that you have been pursuing us from the moment we were born. And God, that you are not afraid of our past. There's some people in here today who God, have felt disqualified from doing anything significant for you because they know the litany of things that they have done. They feel dirty, they feel unworthy, they feel ashamed. But your Holy Spirit is here today to wash shame off of people and to let them know that you've got a plan and a purpose for their lives. So God, today I just pray for every believer in Jesus here today who have been held back from pursuing the plans that you have for them because they feel like their past has disqualified them. Jesus, would you set them free from that condemnation and shame right now in Jesus' name? Would you help them to embrace the story, all of their story that you wanna redeem and use for a purpose as you tell other people about your, your power and your grace and your love through their life and even through their failures? And God, I pray for every person here today who came in unsure that you even existed. Maybe a friend invited them. Maybe they are on their last string and they're just, maybe I'll give church a try. Maybe you're new to the area and you just looked up a church to go to. Maybe you're watching online right now, sitting in your kitchen. And you're realizing that your past doesn't disqualify you. God's been pursuing, he's pursuing you right now. In your heart, you know that you need to make a decision to change the legacy that you leave behind by becoming a follower of Jesus. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you're ready to make that decision to surrender your life to Jesus, to become a follower of his, to let him come in and change you, and give you a new purpose in living, would you boldly raise your hand all across this place? Is there anybody here today that says, yes, that's me. I know that Jesus has been pursuing me. He's pursuing me right now. I see that hand over here on the left, those several hands towards the back. On the left, God bless you, I'm proud of you. Is there anybody else here today? If you're watching online, you click the link in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. Say, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus so he can write a story through my life and redeem all of the mistakes I've made, all of the things that have happened to me and use it to reach other people. Church, I don't want anybody praying alone, so will you join those who are responding to the Holy Spirit's invitation to Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. 
Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died for me because you love me and you've been pursuing me ever since. Before I was even born, you knew the works that you want me to do. And so right now, I surrender my life to you. Cleanse me and wash me of all my sin. Make me brand new. Jesus, I give you my life. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to follow you for the rest of my life. And show me, God, the works you want me to do. Send me to the people you want me to reach. Let my life and all of my past be a trophy of your grace. Jesus, thank you for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we put our hands together and make some noise to welcome those born into God's family today? That's what it's all about, you guys. I prayed this morning with the prayer team before services even started that today, just like the Apostle Paul had on that road to Damascus, would be a crossroads of change. That as people let go of the past and grab a hold of the future that God has for them, that Jesus would make himself real. If that's you and you prayed that prayer a moment ago, let me just be the first one to say congratulations and welcome to the family of God. We're excited to have you as part of the family. You're our brother, you're our sister in the Lord, but we want you to know that you're not on this journey alone. That's just the first step of many steps to come. As a church, we exist to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. And so if you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to grab the green I have decided card in the seat back pocket in front of you. And on the back side, just check the box that indicates the decision that you made today and on your way out. You can hand that to one of our Next Step Dream Team members out in the foyer. Just head into the foyer, hang a quick left, and you'll see some people there who are excited to welcome you into the family of God. And we want to give you a gift. We want to give you a Bible and a bag that has some resources in it that will explain a little bit more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and wants to encourage you to consider taking some next steps on this journey as a follower of Jesus. And might I suggest that one of those next steps be to sign up for baptisms next Sunday. Paul immediately got baptized. I wanna encourage you to immediately sign up and get baptized, go public with your faith. So as our dream team members now get into position to serve you with excellence on your way out, I wanna encourage everyone to be back here next week to get ready to celebrate and throw a party as we celebrate all that God has done in the lives of people who've experienced the life-changing power and grace of Jesus Christ. Baptism Sunday is always one of the most exciting times that we get to do as a church. I love seeing lives made new by the grace of Jesus, amen. I'm excited to continue the series next week. I hope you guys have an awesome week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.